Lord, I ask that you would open up your word to us and teach us from it so that whatever we face, we would be able to say with confidence that we know you are with us and it is well with our soul. We pray this in your name. Amen. <clears throat> As I get started, I just want to recommend a book to you. Uh, it's called The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard is a professor of philosophy at the University of Southern California, and he's also a devout Christian, and those two things almost never go together. So, worth reading just for that. In my opinion, he is the C.S. Lewis of today. He's a very bright man. And The Divine Conspiracy is his book on the Sermon on the Mount, and I have been drawing from it throughout this whole series on the Sermon on the Mount, and I just want to recommend it to you as a little summer reading. When our uh, oldest daughter was three years old, we took her to her first carnival. And she saw the Ferris wheel, and she really wanted to go on it. So we went on it, which was a big mistake. She hated it. She started to cry. She grabbed onto my arm and hung onto it for comfort. But apparently I wasn't doing enough in the comfort department because after about a minute, she let go, and she started wringing her hands and talking to herself. She said, it's okay, Holly. Don't be scared. It's like swinging. You like swinging. And I, it made me feel kind of bad, like I was a bad father that my three-year-old had to self-parent in her moment of need, right? Wasn't doing a good enough job. To me, that is a picture of how many of us go through life, wringing our hands, worried, fretful about something. We worry about our finances, we worry about our kids, our reputations, our careers, our health. We are a culture of worry warts. And everything around us seems calculated to make us worry more. I mean, you just click on the evening news and it makes us worry about everything from global warming to bird flu. And you watch the TV commercials, their whole desire, their whole point is to make us worry. Worry that we have bad breath or that we're not wearing the right shirt or that we're going to have a miserable life because we don't drink the right diet soda. You know, and that's why we're not young and good looking and frolicking on the beach like all the people in the commercial. So we better go get the soda or be consigned to social hell. And what is the payoff for all of this worrying? That would be nothing, right? We get absolutely nothing out of it. It doesn't change a thing just makes us anxious. Worry is the interest we pay on problems we may never have. So wouldn't you like to be worry-free? Jesus says you can. And here's how. He says, first, learn to treasure eternal things, not earthly things. In the passage we just read, Jesus is acting like a good financial advisor. He says, storing up treasures on earth is a bad strategy for investment because they have no long-term future. They don't last. If what we treasure are earthly things like career or reputation or money, we are going to worry because those things aren't permanent. No matter how much money we have, we can always lose it through bad investments or economic downturns. Our reputation can be taken away by careless gossip. Time will rust away all of our achievements. As I've said to you before, we, are in a, we live in a culture where you're only as good as your last sale, your last big deal, your last sermon. Right? 
No matter how good we are, all of us, there's four stages to every person's career in life. Four stages. I'll use myself as an example. Who is Scott Dudley? Get me Scott Dudley. Get me a young Scott Dudley. Who is Scott Dudley? No matter who you are, what you're doing, it's not going to last. So if the earthly things are the things that we care most about, our destiny is sealed. We will worry. Because we know they're not permanent. But if we treasure eternal things, like God, his people, and his kingdom, we won't worry because those things will last forever. You know, Buddha said that the, the, the mother of all suffering is desire. So get rid of all desire. Jesus is different than that. He says, no, no, desire is not the problem. You just got to desire the right things. And if we treasure eternal things, we won't worry because they'll last. And the way to learn how to treasure eternal things is to invest in them. Where your treasure is, there your heart will follow. What we invest in is what we love. So if we invest in eternal things with our time, our energy, our money, gradually, over time, it doesn't happen all at once, but gradually, we'll begin to worry less. Because those things will last. That's one of the things that I think is wonderful about the Ripple Effect campaign. As a community, we're investing in eternal things. And we get to the joy of being a part of how God is going to work in those kids' lives that are part of this campaign, both here and now. We get to see that here and now, but also forever. You know, when we get to heaven, we're going to meet people who will say things to us like, you don't know me, but I was a fourth grader in Redmond, and your church gave me a place to come and hear about Jesus and avoid the pitfalls of the culture, and that's why I'm here in heaven, so thank you. And, and we'll say, right on, because we'll be happy about that. Or someone will say, I was financially challenged, a financially challenged family on the east side. Or a street kid in Rwanda, and because of you, I got out of poverty. And I also heard about Jesus, and that's why I'm here. We're investing in eternal things. And get the joy of seeing God work in those kids' lives here and now, but also forever. And if we begin to value eternal things more than we value earthly things, we won't worry. Because the things we care most about are indestructible. Treasure eternal things. The second way to avoid worry is to trust God and his economy of abundance. Jesus says, look at the birds, look at the grass. God takes care of them. Aren't you more important than a bird? God is going to provide. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have to work. Obviously, we do. You know, the birds, they have to gather all their seeds and make their nests and do other bird chores, whatever they do. But they don't worry about it. When was the last time you saw a worried bird? <laughs> Ringing its little wings in worry, you know? You never see that. Because the bird knows, more than we do, apparently, that God's going to provide for our needs. Maybe not all our wants, but everything that we need. I have had dozens of you tell me stories about being in tough financial times and wondering how you're going to make ends meet, only to see, usually at the last minute, you know, an unexpected raise, or you find your expenses were less than you thought, or you discover you didn't need as much as you thought you did. Jesus is saying we live in an economy of abundance. There's more than enough to take care of everybody. God's going to provide. Sometimes he does that directly, and sometimes he does that through other people. Many of you have heard the statistic that there is enough food in the world to feed everybody. But the reason some people don't have enough food to eat is that some people aren't sharing what they've got. Or there are wars or bad governments that make distribution hard. God gave us everything we need 
to meet our needs. Our job is to distribute it. Did you know that there is $15 billion of loose change just floating around America? We talk about an economy of abundance. $15 billion sitting in people's piggy banks or behind their washers and dryers along with all the missing socks. What would happen if every Christian turned in all of their coins to go for job training for the urban poor? Jesus is saying we live in an economy of abundance and God will provide either directly or through other people. There's a woman who goes to this church who a while back was having trouble with her vision. She went to the doctor and found out what was wrong, but her insurance wouldn't pay for new lenses to fix the problem uh, until the uh, beginning of the year in January, which was months and months away. She and her husband couldn't afford to pay for the lenses themselves, so she had to wait. Problem was, she did a lot of reading on her job, and her vision problem was making it hard. Well, some people from our church found out about it and offered to pay for the lenses. Well, she and her husband didn't think that they could accept that. So one day, at work, she opened her desk drawer, and there was an envelope stuffed with money. No name, just a note that said, this is for your lenses. God provides, sometimes directly, and sometimes he provides through us as we take care of each other. And just as an aside, if God happens to provide for you through other people, don't be too proud to take it. Otherwise, that's us telling God how we want him to provide for us. You know, no, 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 God, not not through other people. That's not the way I wanted it. How how about winning the lottery? That's a better deal, right? Trust that God will provide however he does that. The third way to reduce worry is to give our worries to Jesus. Last week, we looked at Jesus' teaching on prayer, which comes just before the verses we just read. And in that teaching, Jesus says that we can give him our daily needs, our worries. We can give it to him and he'll take care of them. But here's the trick. You see, when you give your worries to Jesus, you've got to leave your worries with Jesus and not go taking them back, right? Well, let me just, well, I'll, I'll put it on loan, Jesus, but let me just look at it a little while. Okay, here you can, no, you know, or don't pray, you know, Lord, take care of my worry. But I've got a really good idea how you should do that, and I think that, Take your worries to Jesus and let him decide how to handle it. As I said last week, Jesus, this is your problem. What do you want to do with it is a prayer that helps me not to worry. Because when I pray it, I have a sense of leaving it with Jesus. But more than that, I begin to see what he might want to do with that problem and what my role in that solution might be. And that reduces my worry because if I'm doing what Jesus wants done with that problem, I know it's going to get done. That's why one of the prayers I am learning to pray more often is not, Lord, fix this, but Lord, what are you doing here? Show me so I can get on board. Because if I'm going where Jesus is going, I'm going to get there. Which brings me to my last point. Treasure the eternal, trust that God will provide, take our worries to Jesus, and the fourth and final way to reduce worry, make the kingdom of God our first priority. Jesus says, uh, uh, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be given to you. And what is God's kingdom? What is it we're supposed to be seeking? Well, it's a lot of things, but for starters, it includes things like people being freed from guilt through the forgiveness that Jesus brings. People who are far from God and other people being reconciled through Jesus. People in economic hardships being liberated. In our own lives, God's kingdom means experiencing, experiencing his love in real ways. And becoming more like Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, if those are the things we're striving for, if those things are our first priority, we don't have to worry. It's not that we won't encounter hardships. We will. But if our first priority is being part of what God is doing in our world and in our lives, we don't have to worry about the hardships because God is going to get his kingdom done in us and in the world no matter what. Because one of the cool things about God is he's God. He's omnipotent. And omnipotent is a really good thing to have on your side. It's the ultimate my dad's bigger than your dad deal. Our dad and his kingdom are bigger than all of our worries put together. The whole Bible is one long book about what God wants to do in the world and in our lives. And it's a great book. I highly recommend it. But it is a little long, and I know some of you maybe haven't finished it yet. So let me tell you how it ends. We win. We win. Now, if we were Pentecostals, that line would have gotten an amen. But there you go. Thank you. And I saw a couple of you nod, which is the Presbyterian amen, so. We win. As a matter of fact, it turns out it's not even a close game. Final score, God infinity, Satan zero. So thank you. So if through prayer and scripture and the leading of the Holy Spirit, we are on board with what God is doing in our lives and in the world, don't worry, be happy, we win. We may have some ups and downs. We may have some trials and tribulations. But at the end of the day, if God takes you to it, he'll see you through it. He does every time. Let me tell you a story about a woman named Ruby. Her daughter and her granddaughter are longtime members of this church. And Ruby trusted Jesus a lot, and because of that, took some risks. She went to seminary way back in the 30s when women didn't do that. You can imagine what she got, what people said to her. She got some criticism. But she didn't worry because she cared more about the eternal things like God and his people and his kingdom than she cared about what some folks thought about her. That's temporary. Then she worked as a missionary with Asian Americans here in Washington State. She got married. She raised a family. But then her husband died. But she didn't worry because she knew that God would provide for her basic needs. And then later on, she started to travel. In fact, in her 70s and 80s, she started smuggling Bibles into communist countries just for the fun of it, I guess. That's pretty cool, don't you think, a Bible smuggling grandma? You just got to love what Jesus does to people, right? Just crazy things. And I'm sure that wasn't easy to smuggle Bibles. I'm sure there were dangers, bad things could have happened, but she didn't worry because she knew that no matter what, God would provide. And that even if bad things happened, God would use them for good. He always does. Well, several years ago, Ruby got pancreatic cancer. Even then, she didn't worry. Again, she knew that God would provide, and she cared passionately about God's kingdom. And she knew that even in her cancer, she would get to be a part of God advancing his kingdom in her life And in the world, and that's what he did. For starters, she ended up having almost no pain, which is very rare in pancreatic cancer. It's usually very painful. And then along the way, she befriended a doctor and his wife, and the doctor's wife had been divorced, and some of her friends had shunned her because of that, but Ruby befriended them and showed them the grace of Jesus. As a result, this doctor made special efforts when it came to Ruby's case. In fact, when the doctor knew that Ruby had cancer, he went to her house on a Saturday morning, his day off, to tell her the news personally. I mean, talk about God providing. When was the last time your doctor made a house call? When he told her that she had cancer, Ruby's response was to quote St. Augustine, 
We don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. And during her illness, her family and church friends were all around her taking care of her. And that was a huge witness to the non-Christian doctors and nurses who were treating her. In fact, the social workers and the hospice care providers were so impressed with the Christian community around Ruby that they told her that they didn't need to come to her house anymore because the quality of her support group was so good. They said they'd never seen a community like that before. So even in her illness, even as other people were taking care of her, Ruby was showing people who Jesus was. Well, during her last days, Ruby's daughter, daughters would take turns reading the Bible to her out loud. One of her daughters wasn't a Christian, but she would read the Bible to Ruby anyway. And it was while this non-Christian daughter was reading the Bible that Ruby finally died. Now her family kind of jokes that what made Ruby finally comfortable to die was hearing her non-Christian daughter read Scripture. That she could trust God even with her daughter's soul. Now, was everything easy in Ruby's life? Absolutely not. She faced a lot of hardships. But as her daughter told me, she always trusted that whatever it was she faced, she always knew that God knew what he was doing, even when it was tough. And the things that were most important to her were eternal and could never be taken away anyway. She wasn't going to lose those. And she gave her needs to Jesus, knowing that he would always meet her physical, emotional, and spiritual needs, and he always did. She cared passionately about what God was doing in the world and in her life and knew that nothing could stop that and that he would always bring good out of evil. And because of that, she didn't worry. And now she is, has, has the ultimate healing, which is to be with Jesus forever. So what are you worried about? And how can you begin to decrease your worry quotient by investing in the things that can never be taken away? How can you practice trusting that God provides through prayer, through giving your worries to him and then seeing him take care of your needs? And how can you continue to involve yourself in what God is doing in your life and in the world so that over time it doesn't happen all at once, but that so over time you will become worry-free? The Bible says you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord... The Lord is the rock eternal. And it is on on that rock that we find rest for our worried souls. And I'll talk more about that next week. Lord Jesus, help us to live our life on the rock. Help us to hang on to you with both hands. And Lord, in our worries, in the troubles we face, we ask that you would teach us over time to give them to you so that we can live life with the confidence you died to give us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.